This is Dennis Rundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. This is Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com, where we discuss all things uh, regarding uh, contemporary spirituality. Our guest today, Gina Sala, uh, Salah, is, she is a vocalist, a composer, music director, sound healer, and teacher. She's from Seattle, uh, whose love of human voice has taken her to performing and studying throughout much of the world. With humor, devotion, and a repertoire spanning 23 languages, Gina shares her passion for singing us awake to who we are, and that's what we want to discuss today, and I would love to be sung awake to who I am. So uh, <laughs> we'll start with Phil. Go ahead, Phil. Thank you so much, Gina, for taking the time to come on with us today. Thank you. My pleasure to be here with you all, for sure. Great to have you with us, Gina. We've tried uh, doing this a few times. It's finally good uh, to go. Yeah. And, um, and we should, uh, we're like many uh, miles apart. Dennis is in Florida. I'm in L.A. You're in Hawaii mm -hmm. at the moment. And um, let's begin by uh, having you t fill our listeners in on uh, the nature of your work and, and your background, how you came, what your early uh, exposure to the spiritual mm. path was and how you came to do the work you do. Mm. All Briefly. right. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, namaste and thank you so much. And uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Everybody's life path unfolds like a river down to the ocean. Somehow I ended up... Um, you know, as a small child, like oh, a toddler, I lived next to the uh, Spokane Indian Reservation. And then at about the age two and a half, and they chanted all the time there. And then at about the age two and a half, uh, I moved with my family to a Hindu ashram in Canada called Yashodra Ashram with uh, Swami Sivananda Radha. And we chanted every single morning and night, like throughout the day as well. But there was always mantras. And a great sand yogi named Swami Nara Brahmananda would come. And Swami Shivananda, who's a uh, sort of a, a guru's guru, who's done great work in the world. And Seva, he was a physician and then decided he wanted to share more. And a very illuminated being. He would send Swami Nara Brahmananda, the sound yogi, to us and to many of his top students to study the power of sound because he realized that sound and our voices and the mantras are a way to align with the highest vibration and a very fast track to move through sort of the cloudiness of, you know, illusion. So I, I had that experience and then uh, I've always loved to sing. I also loved Jesus. I sang in church. Um, I lived in a Buddhist monastery. I practiced chanting there. I uh, ended up again uh, in the East, I lived in Japan and India and studied with teachers. And I guess in a nutshell, what I could say, how I ended up here is I've always had a deep love for this mysterious power, which I call God or the divine or goddess. Throughout my life, I've experienced the miracles and I've been on this path to for my own self and hopefully with others to find ways to clear the mind and open the heart to that grace. Great. Uh, Gina, uh, I, uh, first I want to say your voice is very soothing. So I don't know if that was part of your training, but uh, <laughs> uh, certainly that sound uh, is, is uh, uh, of 
of it being soothing is apparent to me. But I wanted to mm -hmm. ask you, uh, thinking back to your childhood, your, when you were very young, mm -hmm. when you first started uh, chanting or hearing chants, especially when you first started yourself, what was that experience like for you as a child? Was it one of joyfulness? Was it one of introspection? What, what was triggered at that early stage in your life uh, during those periods? Mm. Ah, no one's ever asked that. That's great. Um, well, I'll just say there's something, I, an analogy is I was just with a Balinese Hindu priest recently, and he said that there isn't a word for artist in Bali because, you know, it'd be like saying a breather. Are you a breather? Everybody's creative. Everybody has art. And that's what it was like for me as a child in terms of chanting. Literally every single night we chanted. And, you know, so I was there from the age of two and a half for several years. So my earliest memories are you chant every night. Often I would fall asleep. I would The chants were going in the ashram and uh, they were going in my heart and my head. So to me it was sort of natural like breathing, but it did certainly make me feel calm and connected I mean, I felt like the trees chanted. Mm -hmm. I felt like everything chanted, you know, <laughs> praises to our source. Like even today here in Maui, the birds are singing, the sun is shining. And I feel like everything naturally wants to open up and share its particular vibration, even as it receives it, you know? Well, thank you. Fascinating. Uh, Gina, I just want to point out to our uh, listeners that the Swami Shivananda you mentioned is the uh, legendary Shivananda of Rishikesh. Mm -hmm. uh, who was the guru of uh, Swami Radha, who had your ran in the ashram you grew up in, yes. and also the guru of uh, Swami Satchidananda, Swami mm -hmm. Vishnu Devananda, who had uh, such a big impact on yoga in America. Um, mm -hmm. um, so there's a strong lineage uh, there, and. Yes. Um, I, I'm curious about. Um, I think did do do not also have uh, some kind of uh, formal training. It wasn't just that you absorbed the uh, uh, practices of uh, kirtan and so forth, but you 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 had some traditional formal training. Did you not? Uh, yeah, I did, and I still do. So I think I went to India in 1992 the first time. After, you know, I was in my early 20s and uh, I studied classical Indian music then and some mantra. But really, my, my, my main uh, training has been with my sound tantra, kundalini tantra and mantra guruji vali shastraji for the last uh, 12, 13 years has really deepened, even though I've been chanting my whole life. And then I've also studied... Drupad, which is the oldest form of classical vocal singing. And that form of singing wasn't meant for entertainment at all. It's literally a sadhana, like mm. a, a spiritual path for waking up. And it's, I, I don't perform it so much. More Mainly it's my own practice of just really aligning with these vibrations that are so profound that take us from the personal to the transpersonal. And my main guruji in that has been Pandit Ritvik Sanyalji, who's, you know, 20, 20, over 20 generations direct lineage, clear back to Tan Sen, who is sort of the founder of Indian classical vocal music. 
So I, I definitely study and have studied. And then I also teach these things in my retreats and my sound schools. Because even people who've never done it, when you really fall into a, a vibration, a deep sound like that, people who've never been able to meditate, it's like they completely feel their mind sort of melt open. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, nice. I, I, that's <laughs> definitely, I'm into the uh, precision as an act of love and because it feels great and is powerful of these forms of sound. Uh, Gina, I, I'm curious, when one chants, uh, you're, you're chanting sounds, uh, is mm -hmm. it important that, you, that those sounds are associated with meaning? Like, let's say, for instance, I would have chant in English, and uh, whatever I was chanting, I would know what it means, and uh, there would be some association with meaning. If you asked me to chant in Sanskrit, uh, and I memorized some Sanskrit uh, verses, I might be able to chant them, but would not know the meaning. Is meaning involved? Is it necessary, or is it not necessary? And you distinguish between those two types of chanting. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, in Sanskrit... Sanskrit is a potent vibrational language, and an analogy, I often teach an analogy, is, is, you know, you can take an herb, a certain herb will have an effect, right, if you ingest a medicinal herb, and you don't have to understand what the phytonutrients are and why it works and how it works, and mantra, mantras are literally tools for the mind, so I'm, I'm now talking about mantra as opposed to just, you know, singing in English, which is also lovely. And singing, by the way, I love, I love the sort of sacred music of all around the world. But the mantra is a cornerstone for me. Uh, manas is mind, tra's tool. And there's literally tools that affect the mind. And, and, you know, or I think of them as windshield wipers sometimes even. Sometimes they can just clear the mind so that we can actually see more clearly or feel more clearly who we actually are behind it. And that goes, we go back and forth in our day. So as for your question, does the meaning matter? I believe that, you know, an ingredient that's not always talked about in mentor practice is love. Love mm -hmm. is sort of the superpower. So if I chant with love, whether or not you know exactly every single word, even if it's just a chant, may this benefit all, may this be, may I open to capital L love is sometimes how I say it. That's a value. And I find that once you start to taste the deliciousness of mantra, and maybe you guys agree, you sort of get more curious, you get drawn in. The mantra reveals itself. We can feel, we can almost feel without being taught after a while what a mantra, what the effect is and what it's about. So you don't have to know the meaning. You don't have to focus on the meaning. But I do think it's helpful to make it an act of love and certainly as we experience the power of it, we might get more curious about what the meaning is. Gene, mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a, a two-part question. First, uh, in addition to um, Dennis's question about meaning, uh, my mm -hmm. question would be about pronunciation and how important the uh, correct pronunciation of mantras are uh, is. And second question is, um, I've had the great pleasure of, uh, you know, seeing you perform. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, a few times I did, it seemed to me that there were times when you were doing traditional 
kirtan, call and response, mm -hmm. like uh, many of our listeners would be familiar with. And mm -hmm. other times, you uh, it was more uh, performance style. You weren't expecting a uh, response from uh, the call. It wasn't a call and response, but you were singing, essentially. Um, mm. And uh, and times it seemed where you improvised a lot. Can mm -hmm. you uh, discuss those, those sort of modes of in the, and how different the experience might be for the audience when you do different things? Sure, yeah. Um, well, your first question was, how important is pronunciation? Yeah. And, you know, I love what Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, basically offer me a leaf, you know, with love. I, I feel like whatever we offer from our heart is accepted so beautifully. Mm. And there's also a science to them, to the sound, to the mantra. There's, there's uh, these, you know, regions in the mouth and the cerebral, the dental, these regions where, where we place the tongue, including there's one place back here, like when we are imitating, sometimes we bring our tongue back. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but actually that place is right under your pineal gland. Jesus himself said, if then I be single, my whole body shall be filled with light. Mm -hmm. It stimulates beneath the pineal gland, a.k.a. the third eye, which actually emits and generates light, inner light, oh. inner illumination. You know, there's halos around the saints depicted in all the spiritual traditions. Even when I was at the Hopi Third Mesa, their sacred, sacred land, in their um, cave drawings, the, the holy connected ones, everyone's holy, I believe, but the ones who are most aware of their connection, had something that looked like halos drawn around them. So there are placements of the tongue in pronunciation that have different effects. For example, shanti, there's two T's. There's ta and ta. And shanti is ta. And there's, for example, no a in Sanskrit. It's Sanskrit. So there's a lot of things that when we um, focus, they, the power of the mantras has, are, is increased. And for me, Shakti, which is divine power, is lives and is the mantra. So just out of respect, I pronounce as well as I can. And also it's because, you know, I get the most uh, benefit from it. And my students do as well. <clears throat> uh, so, and, and the other sorry. question about the different modes of your performance. Yeah, yeah. So there are things called invocations. And invocations, I like to think of taking from formless into form through the voice, invocation, right? So there are invocations that I just offer partly because it's just nice for the ears of all of us to get tuned, that, that you don't have to try so hard, but you can hear some subtleties that maybe you haven't practiced yourself yet, or just to lay back and enjoy. Um, so that, I like to offer invocations. And sometimes I like to play in the notes between the notes more that is more... Um, more something that's done in Indian music that ah, and the voice is like caressing, caressing, you know, Shri Vakratunda Mahakaya. This is like a name of a Ganesha, curvy trunked one, which relates to me on the inner meaning, because everything has an inner meaning, to that, you know movement of kundalini shakti as it can move upward through the spine and, and it reminds me to keep the spine soft and mobile and strong mm 
So <clears throat> allowing myself to just sort of sing freely and let people listen hopefully gives them an experience to open beyond our usual ways of listening. And then the kirtan, kirtan, especially in Western-style kirtan, which we do here, is simple call and response. They can be mantras, om namah shivaya, it can be just names, Sri Ram, Jai Ram. And that's just a way to really sort of run the vibration through our system, sing the divine names, and, and doing it in a group, in community, we sort of amplify the vibrations together. And that's uh, another blissful experience. And, and if you sort of show up and you're not quite feeling it, you kind of get swept in and uh, it, helps, it helps us all to kind of feel it together and, and indeed to feel our non-separateness, you know? Mm-hmm. And then improvisation is always, you know, if you think about it, really almost everything is improvised in life. Our conversation right now, the person who's listening might be moving their body in a certain way or anytime we speak when we're not on script. or So improvisation, I feel like, allows me and us Especially, and I like to do it on top of when a kid comes going, to sort of open a gateway to inspiration in the moment and let it dance and play. Because truly, this divine loves to dance and play and create, right? And that's our nature. We're not separate from the creator. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, those are three modes that I enjoy a lot. Good. Uh, Gina, uh, uh, another question I, I'm curious about, and that is when you chant, obviously you're vocalizing. Are there times when you just think those verses and not actually uh, chant them out, but internalize them. And would that be considered chanting? And is there a specific purpose for that? Or is that something uh, you would not do? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I think of it, you know, if I was talking to you, you know, or if you were talking to me and my mind was distracted, I wasn't paying attention, you might touch me on the shoulder and boom, I'm right here. So when I chant, it's very physical, right? I can physically feel it in my body. The listeners, if you're listening, if you put your hand on your chest and just go, oh, or even on the crown of your head and om, you're going to physically feel that. So there's something about the physical that sort of puts us right here in the body where we can really stay here and, and be present in this way. But the, the subtle, as my Guruji Vagi Shastraji initially taught, is so much more powerful than the gross. So one thing that happens as we chant aloud is it takes us to a deeper silence, right, than we could have gotten mm-hmm. to usually. So I do like to take it then to the subtle. And there's something called Upanshivak, which is a way of chanting where you're sort of moving your lips and tongue, like you're mouthing the words, but it's, you're hearing it on the inner rather than vocalizing it through the vocal cords. Huh. And that can be a nice intermediary stage in between the two. So you're, you're, it, it helps to stay focused, to not space out so much. And if we space out, it's okay. Just go, oh, where am I? Come on back to the mantra if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the subtle, finally, is, the, is, is very powerful. That's where we start to feel our expansive nature, in my experience. And also, to be honest, let's admit it, it's not always that appropriate to be chanting aloud, but I might be in a situation, which happens, I think, to all of us, where I feel like I need a little extra inner support, maybe I'm insecure, maybe I'm, my brain is gone everywhere, my mind is running hither and thither, as they say, and I might just start chanting a mantra on the inner. And even though no one else can hear it, 
We can often feel it when someone around us is chanting. We might not know what that is, but there's a sense of peace or calm. So it's also a seva, it's an offering. Wonderful. Uh, Gina, one thing uh, in your bio uh, stimulates a, a question for me. Among the many uh, spiritual luminaries you've uh, studied with and uh, it, uh, had the, been in the presence of was H.W.L. Uh, Punja, mm. who uh, many people know as Papaji. Yes. Um, and a great, uh, a large number of people uh, uh, were with him for, especially in the 80s, and some of them uh, are now fairly well-established teachers of uh, sort of a, a modern Advaita Vedanta. Mm -hmm. um, um, here's my question. You were with him uh, for much of a year, you said. Mm -hmm. In those contexts, now I, I know, from what I know of him, it was um, uh, a kind of... Uh, but a different kind of path. Did you do chanting? Was there music and, and chanting in his presence, or was it more of what we think of as a, 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 a gyan sort of path? Gyan, knowledge. You know, there wasn't really much chanting. I remember uh, I got an old guitar, like a completely, you know, just really simple, funky guitar, and I think I made up a blues song for him once and sang it to him. <laughs> Papa G, he set us free, yeah. you know, and he laughed and cried. But his path that he taught always, I remember, he used to call me the baby of the satsang because I think I was the youngest one there at the time. And I, I went, I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't looking for Guruji. In fact, I was on my way to the Shivananda Ashram for the first time, mm -hmm. having grown up in that lineage. And there was a series of, I would say many miracles. Uh, this piece of paper kept showing up that said Punjaji Lucknow. I had no mm. idea what that meant. So finally, it kept showing up and I kept thinking, I thought I threw that away. Because you know when you're traveling, you're throwing your stuff away, getting it clear. So at this one point, I literally crumpled it up. I was in India in the early 90s. And unfortunately, what we did with garbage then was throw it in the gutter. So I threw it in the gutter. And I went to take a nap in this room. And I woke up. And I'm not kidding. The paper was clean. And my door was locked. And there's a Bansuri flute playing. And the paper was uncrumpled next to me again. So I had mm -hmm. to go find out, what is this? And I thought Lucknow was like, now is time for luck. It's actually a city <laughs> uh, in India. And uh, long story short, I found him miraculously easily. And I, at that point, had already been living in the Himalayas for some time and had the deepest experiences of my life, and I thought I didn't need a teacher. I, I kind of thought I was, it's laughable to me now, but for a moment in my youthful folly, I thought I was done, you know, like, I'm clear. <laughs> and uh, and when I met him, you know, I, I don't know what possessed me. I said, who does he think he is, God or something? And he just roared this laughter, because he was a military man initially. And I was like, oh, because you know? he didn't, I didn't know if he heard me. And all I can say is it was a whole different experience of, <clears throat> of, of bliss and power. And, and it was a lot of silence. But while I was there, I almost never spoke to anybody. I, he found a little place for me to stay. I, I almost never spoke. I was just very, very quiet for months. 
But what I found out towards the end is that he was also a bhakta. So he taught Advaita, which means like find out who is asking. Ramana Maharshi is his guruji. You know, mm-hmm. like when I would try to ask a question, he'd, I'd say, but no but. Or I'd ask, what about find out who is asking the question? You know, don't go to the past. Past is graveyard. <clears throat> You've spent millions of years. Can't you take one second to remember who you are? Like these funny answers, you know. But at one point, uh, he started doing what I thought was mocking Jesus. And I had a childhood deep love, I still do, for Jesus uh, because of some experiences. And I leapt up and I jumped over some people. I almost kicked them in the head. And I go, I love Jesus. And he looked at me. And, I, and then I felt horrified, like, what did I just do, you know? Oh, my God. And he just started crying. His tears came down his feet. And he said, come up here. And he had me sit up with him. He said, very good. Very good. And then later he talked about how, you know, jnana and bhakti or this knowledge of who am I? I'm not separate from this. And yet the devotion, <clears throat> which requires a little feeling of separation in a way. Right. Usually mm-hmm. that they're two wings of the bird and both are what let the bird really soar. And he was deeply devoted to Krishna. It's just that that's not what he taught. Right. right. Uh, Gene, I have a two-part question. If I go to uh, hear someone chant, if you're chanting or some group is chanting, that will have an influence on me. Uh, mm-hmm. How is that influence affected by the purity of those chanting? And then the second part of the question would be, things are recorded now. If somebody very pure mm-hmm. is chanting, and it's a good recording, and I'm listening to it on my uh, iPhone with my headset, am I getting the same influence as if mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's happening in person? Well... First of all, I can never judge purity or non-purity in anybody, you know. Everybody well, we, is we don't know grace. whether they're pure or not, but do different people, if somebody is chanting, if your guru was chanting, <laughs> is it going to have yes. a different effect than if the disciple is chanting? I think he generally, you know, the, the clearer channel we are, and that's, as you know, in India, there's a, something about transmission. So we get transmissions through a lineage from our gurujis mm-hmm. of of energy, the channel opens. Sometimes I feel like the slow kid in reading class that's had a lot of great tutors because I needed it, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because I've had these incredible teachers and transmissions. I do think it has an effect. Yeah, the the clearer the channel, you know, it's sort of like better headphones. And yet I think amazingly, it's so mysterious what happens within us. In general, I absolutely believe the clearer the channel, the clearer the effect. And yet there's also some kind of grace that will always permeate our hearts and consciousness when we're ready and when we open to it. I, I, I certainly, one of my passions and the reason I teach, I, my, my favorite thing I'm doing right now are these awakening voice uh, sound schools and these retreats. Because in my sound school, we meet four times a year and people run these vibrations through their own bodies, through their own voices, four times a year for a long weekend. Plus we have follow-up calls and they get to feel sort of that incredible grace that come right through their own body. And same on, I do these retreats in Mexico. I have one coming up in a few days here in Maui that I'm leading. And uh, also I lead an India tour. In these, when we start to get used to the same grace coming through our own bodies, to me, finally, nothing takes the place of that coming through this instrument because we're all the divine instruments. 
Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, I, Gina, that's a perfect segue to the question I was going to ask, which is, uh, you have this school, Awakening mm -hmm. Sound. You uh, have workshops and retreats all the time. Mm -hmm. What do you train uh, ordinary people to do that they take away uh, for their own uh, practice? Mm, yeah. Well, you know, I actually, I didn't know that my sound school was going to last so long. I, I offered a one-year sound school in four modules <clears throat> because I started traveling more and I wasn't doing my weekly classes and some people wanted to come from other parts of the United States or Canada. And uh, in general... And this is I in offered, Seattle, we should specify. Mm -hmm, in Seattle, in my home studio, Shanti Shala. And I was... Uh, I, I share mantra, deeper mantra practices with really precise pronunciation. We actually laugh a lot. Because anytime you connect a source, things get fun and blissful, as you know. Um, I also share these raga practices that are deep and slow. Raga is a system of sort of you know, tuning the mind in a system of singing and notes. And then we do other cross-cultural, in the afternoon, right, after lunch, we usually do other cross-cultural songs, African or South American. And we also do, um, I, I share different tools that I've gained over the years in dreams or in other uh, creative pursuits. And then also in the evenings, on one evening, other people then share what's come through them in terms of singing. So um, it's really a way to, to go deep in sound tantra, raga, mantra, cross-cultural healing songs in joyful community, such that every year, I started five years ago, these first, that, that group is continuing now into their fifth year. So I started another one, and that group is continuing, and then the third year is continuing, second year is continuing. So I have all these people now, it's kind of a big old tribe in their own groups, and I'm starting another first year sound school, it's called Awakening Voice, Power of Love, in February. And, uh, you know, if people want to find out about it, they can write me at info at, and then my name, ginasala.com, G-I-N-A-S-A-L-A.com. I love it. They love it. I'm surprised. I didn't know people would continue. I don't know how many years we're going to keep continuing these groups, but it, obviously it has an effect that's powerful and benevolent for people because they keep signing up year after year. We'll have all that information uh, posted up on, uh, on the website and how to contact Gina. Gina, thank you so very much for your time today. And any final points uh, you'd like to make to our listeners? And Phil, any final points you'd like to bring out? I was going to ask Gina what's upcoming for her, but she's already said it. So I will ask her what uh, uh, to, to, to something else, which is I know you're in uh, Maui and you just we're now in uh, January 23rd. Um, 2019. Uh, 2019. Yes. <laughs> later, and you just uh, had a satsang with Ram Das and others where you. Mm. There was a lot of chanting. I know mo many of our listeners um, are uh, very fond of Ram Das and know yes. about his uh, condition and his aging. Mm. How is he and what was the experience like? Oh, well, thank you. I love Ram Das so much. And uh, <clears throat> I'm actually leading my seventh retreat here on Maui with Daniel Paul, chant and drumming and yoga. And generally every year we get invited to then lead a kirtan over at Ram Das Ji's house. And, you know, he's, he's definitely old and has physical challenges, 
But boy, his radiance is as bright as ever. His love just shines out his eyes and his heart and is palpable. Um, and he just sits right there in front and smiles and afterwards offers his love and blessings. And, and uh, actually, after our retreat with Daniel Paul, I'm going to also be singing at his retreat. He's doing a Blessings of Mortality retreat on, uh, on death and dying with Roshi Joan Halifax and Franco. So, oh, how wonderful. Yeah, so it's a real blessing to be with him. There's a there's another again. How do I have the grace of such good association so yeah. often? And um, um, we should tell our listeners. Speaking of Ramdas and mortality, uh, one of our recent interviews was with Mirabai Bush, and oh. they can listen to that in the archive and hear mm. about uh, Ramdas and and uh, Mirabai's thoughts about death and dying. Beautiful, right. yeah, and then. Uh, people can always just check out, too, if they want to um, come next year to Maui or to Mexico or the Sound School or India, just ginasala.com. I'd love to be in touch. I do some private sessions, too. But Wonderful. what a pleasure. So lovely to speak with hey, you. Hey, here's again. a thought. Yeah. Can you, before we go, we only we have only a couple of minutes, but yeah. could, could you uh, send us out with some sound? Great, great, ah. great suggestion, Phil. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Well, you know what? Because I, as I mentioned, my passion is actually uh, getting everyone singing. So wherever you are, you know, you in listener land, the simple mantra that many of us know, Lopaha samastaha sukhino bhavantu. Beautiful. And there are mahapranic syllables. That bha, bhavantu is a mahapranic syllable that has extra prana air in it. So just I'll just do my little simple version. May all beings in all realms have true happiness, the kind that has no opposite. Loka Thank you, Gina. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Hi, thank you.